is Christian Questions. Max Dupree, Max Dupree once said, The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The last is to say thank you. In between, the leader is a servant. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. And Kathy, the best part is this. We talk, and you listen, and then you talk, and we listen. And you can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan. Who is away at a wedding, I think, At a wedding in Boston. In Boston. So, for Rick and Kathy this morning, uh, folks, we're glad that you have chosen to spend some time with us. And uh, so, Kathy, you're here again. I am here again. I'm very excited to be here again because this is a really cool topic and I have a lot of questions to ask you. (laughs) All right. What's the topic and what's the theme scripture? And let's get started. Our topic today is, What Makes a True Christian Leader? Part 2. And our theme text is taken from Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. All right, so there is the scripture, there is the question, what makes a true Christian leader? And it was about a month ago that we began talking about leadership, Christian leadership and how important it is um, for a Christian community, any community, in fact, to have significant leadership. Without leadership, people tend toward their own way, and more than that, without leadership, people tend toward a self-centered and incomplete perception of the world around them, because you know what? It's all about Me. (laughs) Our last conversation revolved around the internal aspects of leadership, what makes a leader from the inside out. So today, Kathy, what we want to do is we want to talk about what makes a leader from the outside in. That's really what we want to focus on. So let's just take a couple of minutes here and review. There were sort of four, four main bullet points from our last conversation uh, several weeks ago, and these are leadership the Christian way, properly, I, I love P words, properly placing <laughs> the pieces of the puzzle, part one. So the personal pieces, the internal part, what were those four points? The first one was principles. What are the core values that guide me? All right, principles. What drives you from the inside out? What are the things that focus you, the, the, the principles that are higher than yourself that focus you? Next one. Priorities. What are the most important things, the true north that I focus on? And I always love the saying, do the most important thing at any given moment. And if you have your priority sets, they are obviously built upon the principles. If you have strong principles, then your priorities fall right in line with them. If you don't have strong principles, uh, priorities are hard to find. Okay. All right. Third point. Uh, Number three, performance. What am I doing and how am I doing it right now? And that's kind of from the mirror aspect of looking in the mirror saying, okay, how am I doing? How am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What am I doing right now? Uh, And how well am I doing it? And do I need to alter my approach? And then to do that, you go back through your principles, make sure you're sound according to principles and that you have your priorities straight. And then what's the fourth point? Potential. 
What am I growing towards and how am I feeding that growth? So these are the internal parts, the potential. We can see what the potential is inside of ourselves and we have to continually challenge the potential to become more than potential but to actually become reality. So even though you say that this is the internal part of the puzzle, it, it, so are you saying that it's, it's still work in that it's what you think about? And how you think is is work and action. And this would all still be true even if you were the only person on earth. Yes, absolutely. Because these are the things that you have to develop. Each of us has to develop inside ourselves uh, to, to fulfill a Christian life. There's no question about that. So, right, if there's nobody to lead, you still have to do these things. <laughs> like you have to lead your own life. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. You know, most people, instead of leading their lives, they just experience their lives. And there's a big difference between the two. Okay. Because when you experience something, you're just letting whatever happened happen, saying, oh, okay, that's a nice, interesting experience. Leading your life is looking for the experiences of life to feed a, a predetermined objective. That's what this is all about. All right. So, folks, we're talking about leadership. We want to talk about the external part of leadership. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that, on Christian leadership or leadership that you've seen or, or been involved with elsewhere. Our number is 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. You, you have to go there to uh, just, I mean... There's so much social media right now that sucks you in and you can waste time. But if you have a chunk of time, go to ChristianQuestions.com and get sucked in there. And check out old programs, check out rewinds, and especially this last week's rewind. Oh my gosh, I have no idea how your rewinder came up with 20 pages <laughs> of the last week's program. It was fantastic. And that was a program on the prophecies of Daniel. We had a special guest, David Rice, with us, and it, was, it really was well, well done. So seek your rewind, the full edition, sign up for it. It's a free service available only at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, let's get focused now. Let's go move forward on to Christian leadership, the outside in. And to, to, we're, we're going to be referring back to, to a specific individual, Simon Sinek. Uh, he did a TED Talk on leadership. And it was, I, to me, Kathy, it was one of those life-changing things. You listen to it and you go, wow. It was. I, I get this. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be dropping in on Simon in his TED Talk throughout our program today. And he's talking about what makes, what's the difference between those who really truly lead and those who simply manage others. So let's listen to this first soundbite. One is what business are you in? You know, I mean. Oh wait, wait, Matt. I'm why sorry. Are you, you know what? what? I, I apologize. It's soundbite number seven on the um, this, the. Uh, there you go. Why is it that Martin Luther King led the civil rights movement? He wasn't the only man who suffered in a pre-civil rights America, and he certainly wasn't the only great orator of the day. Why him? And why is it that the Wright brothers were able to figure out controlled, powered man flight when there were certainly other teams who were better qualified, better funded, and they didn't achieve powered man flight, and the Wright brothers beat them to it? There's something else at play here. As it turns out, there's a pattern. As it turns out, all the great and inspiring leaders and organizations in the world, whether it's Apple or Martin Luther King or the Wright brothers, they all think, act, and communicate the exact same way. And it's the complete opposite 
to everyone else. All I did was codify it. And it's probably the world's simplest idea. I call it the golden circle. So what is the golden circle? We're going <laughs> to find that out in, 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 in a few minutes here. But what he's saying is the greatest leaders in history, he said there is a, an absolute pattern that they follow, and it's exactly the opposite of everybody else. So you think, okay, well, what is this pattern we need to know about? It? Yes, we do. And interestingly, it is exactly the pattern that Jesus followed. Well, I have a question. Martin Luther King, the Wright brothers, Apple Computers, they, they all saw a need. Right. What need do Christian leaders see? What is the, the what for Christian leaders? Now, see, the what for Christian leaders is, and it depends on your, your denominational perspective on Christianity, honestly, because the what to me for a Christian leader is to draw others to living a life of sacrifice for the purpose of the salvation of the world. So you have the biggest objective you could ever imagine. Save the world. <laughs> so oh, that's it? That's yeah, it. that's all. That's okay. all. That's all we're talking about. Save the world. And, and as we develop this program on leadership, hopefully we're going to be able to, to, to focus that and say, because that's the most important thing, you want to draw people to that as a vision. So right now in the holiday season, and we know that Jesus is the reason for the season, as a Christian leader... How do you exemplify that? Ah, grasshopper, what a question. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that's a, that's a really good question because the season is very confused. Yeah. And so how do we exemplify that? I'm, I'm not going to answer the question yet. Okay. Let's put the question on the table and get moving forward and keep coming back to that question. Um, so our first, our first public piece of the leadership puzzle is what? Participation. Okay. Who do I interact with, and how do I feed that interaction? And we had several quotes in our last program uh, on leadership that were based on um, a YouTube site that didn't give the sources of all the quotes till the end, and I couldn't I figure out how to match them up. But this is a great quote that goes with that participation leadership. I don't know the source. Authority is a poor substitute for leadership. Okay, authority is a poor substitute for leadership. So in our participation, what is participatory leadership? Participatory leadership is not just leading by example. It's leading as a real and current right now example. It's, it's, it's getting your hands dirty now alongside of those who you lead. Participatory leadership is transformative both for the leader and the follower, as it binds them together uh, to their cause in a very unique and real way. If you are participating in that which you are leading others to do, they see you entirely differently than if you're just pointing and say, do this, do that. And I think people can tell the difference between yeah. sincerity and just going through the motions too. Right, right. And, and, and that's, a, that's a big, big, big part of this thing. Let's go to an, another soundbite. This is from John Maxwell. He is my favorite mentor on leader on leadership, uh, and he's talking about, he's got books about the laws of leadership. He's talking about one law of leadership called the law of awareness. If I have time, I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about the, the law of awareness, mm. which says you have to know yourself to grow yourself. And I don't hear many people talk about that. Mm. And, and I'm going to really talk to, to them about the fact that you, you, the goal is not to grow in every area. The goal is to grow in the area where you're, where you're gifted and yeah. where you're strong. And, and so you have to know what that is. 
before you determine what areas you're going to grow in. And so I'm going to talk to them about how do you discover, how, how do you become aware about what you do well so that you can really work on that and really grow in that area to, to really go up to a whole, whole new level. See, the important part about that law of awareness is that once you figure out how to develop the areas that you're strong in, you are then equipped to help others figure out and develop the areas they're strong in. And they may not be strong in the areas that you are. As a matter of fact, you hope that they're not. So that, but you can give them the principles for developing whatever their talent is. And that's part of participatory leadership. It's doing it first and then doing it alongside with and then showing others how to do what they can do, which hopefully is different than what you do. See, that's the whole key about leadership. It's developing people not to be mirror images of you, but mirror images of the part of Christ that they can be that you may not be. Wow. See, so it is. Okay. And, and there, there, there's so much, there is so much to this. It, it mm-hmm. is such a, a powerful principle if once, once we get it. Let's go to a scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Okay, so the, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, I have worked at being able to identify with people from where, from whence they come. So to those who are coming to Christianity from Judaism, I am going to work with them from that standpoint. Even though I'm not there anymore, I understand it. I'm going to work with them from that standpoint because I want to draw them toward Christ. You know, and it reminds me of uh, Romans, I think it's 9 verses 12 maybe, where it says, let your love be without dissimulation or without hypocrisy. Right, right, right. You have to love people in your life sincerely and genuinely for who and what they are as, as well. And let's continue this verse, uh, verse uh, 21. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. And he's simply saying to those who come from outside of Judaism to Christianity, I'm going to identify with them from where they're coming from so that I can help them understand how to get to the law of Christ. And let's finish this, this verse up. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So the Apostle Paul was engaging in participatory leadership. He was doing the things to help everybody do what they needed to do. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Today we're discussing what makes a true Christian leader, part two. Coming up, why do you get out of bed in the morning? What is your purpose? What is your goal? Why should anyone care? Stay with us. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today, what makes a true Christian leader? Part 2. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. 
We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. Lots to see at the website, ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure you check it out. Also, uh, check out Facebook. There's a lot of activity going on on Facebook these days. Facebook is amazing for, for Christian questions. Yeah, we, got, we get a lot of great uh, conversations going there and so forth, so we'd certainly love for you to like us on Facebook as well. All right, Kathy, participatory leadership, let's continue with that. We're listening to, sort of to, to put things in perspective, listening to a TED Talk by Simon Sinek, who um, did some study on, on, on some of the greatest leaders uh, in history and discovered that they all did exactly the same thing. And he called this the golden circle. So now we've got to figure out, well, what is this golden circle all about? So let's go back to uh, Simon Sinek and this particular soundbite. Why, how, what? This little idea explains why some organizations and some leaders are able to inspire where others aren't. Let me define the terms really quickly. Every single person, every single organization on the planet knows what they do 100%. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition or your proprietary process or your USP, but very, very few people or organizations know why they do what they do. And by why, I don't mean to make a profit. That's a result. It's always a result. By why, I mean what's your purpose, what's your cause, what's your belief? Why does your organization exist? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? And why should anyone care? All right, and that, that's powerful. He's talking about these three parts of the, the objective. Why, how, and what. And his point is that everybody knows what they do. Some know why or how they do it, but very few truly know why. And once you understand the import of that, that's a life-changing thought. What is your why in terms of your Christianity? I think it would make it a lot easier to get out of bed in the morning, too, because so often you get out of bed in the morning because of the what, what you have to do. Right. But if you have that passion of why you're doing it, it, it makes those feet hit the floor much easier. Yeah, and for people like me who aren't morning persons to get up and uh, drive to the radio station on Sunday morning very early, <laughs> I absolutely need the why. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. So that's an important point. So we're going to develop this what uh, how and why, and why the why is where the why what needs to be. Why does the why need to be in the middle of everything? Jesus constantly spoke uh, to, uh, to about several aspects of his own why, and and just we're going to touch on a few of those. John four thirty one to thirty four. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, "Rabbi, eat." But he said to them, "I have food to eat that you do not know about." So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus had a very clear mission. And now he doesn't spell out the mission there. He doesn't spell out the why. But he's saying that, Look, my very nourishment is to do the will of my Father because he sent me to do a specific work. And that's why I'm here. So, no, I don't care about what's for dinner. <laughs> That's really what he's saying. What I care about is what do I do next to fulfill the why that I'm here for. And yet, Jesus ate. and so Of course he did. <laughs> and yet, he was always looking for the, the bigger picture right. and, and more. And he was always looking to teach the lessons right. to, to draw others to look to the bigger picture and more. 
He's saying to his disciples, I know you're worried about food and you really should be thinking about it occasionally, but really, what's the main objective here? So he's elevating their thinking by being the example. And that's part of great, great, great leadership. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. So Jesus' point was, I'm driven and nourished to accomplish the work of ransom and restitution. That's what his why was. The world needed saving. And prophetically in Isaiah, he says, here am I, send me. I can do this. So he was constantly focused. And by being so, he, if you as a leader are constantly focused on the why... Others are drawn to the focus. They can see it because it's, it, it, it's external. It's transparent. It's something that people can look at and say, I get it. I know what they're about. And see, I, to me, that's a great, I'm getting off subject here, but I think that's a, that's a great um, test for leadership. If somebody sees a leader and they really know what they're about, can you tell me what that person's why is? And if you can, then I think you've got a great leader in front of you because okay. the why is, being, is, is always on the outside. And, and that is what helps people to, to, to focus on it. Let, let's contrast Jesus' approach with that of the Pharisees, because their why was very different, unfortunately for them, than Jesus. Matthew 6, 1 through 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. See that? To be noticed by them. Just saying. <laughs> Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will will reward you. Okay, let's pause there for a second, because Jesus is outlining a lot of the Pharisees why and their why was to be noticed that's that's why they were doing what they're doing look at how good I am that's what their approach was look at look at the things that I do the what so you can see that I am good so their their, their approach was to draw attention and adulation to themselves not to the Heavenly Father but, you know, in and, and reading this, and I think that when we, we read about the Pharisees, we know the Pharisees are the bad guys. We know we do not want to identify ourselves with the bad guys, with right. the Pharisees. So you read this and you, th- it's, you think, well, I don't do that. And yet, when I'm in secret and in private, I think, well, do I do that? And I think it's a constant battle. And that, see, that's the big question. Do we do that? Do we do things? And here, here's the way to do it. Do we do things in our Christian lives so we can be noticed? See, that's what Jesus is really pointing to here. Do you do them so that people can say, oh, look at what Rick did. Oh, isn't that nice of Rick? Oh, what a great example Rick is. Oh, isn't that such a good thing? Oh, I'm so inspired by that. Or do we do things because they need to be done? And so you say, well, okay, but if you're leading, shouldn't you be showing people what you're doing? And there's something to be said for that. So how do you balance the two? Well, let's finish the verse, okay? Because this helps us to focus on the balancing of the two. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So what Jesus is saying is, he's not saying don't do things outwardly so other people can't see them, but he's saying when it comes to things like prayer, the sacredness and the power of prayer, he's saying don't make a spectacle of yourself because it's not about you. Prayer is about the Father. So he's saying be humble and you'll be rewarded for your humility in, in, in your approach. And if we take the, hum, the, 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 the humble approach to our why, what comes out is the true objective. Well, what about when you're doing the right thing and you're doing it for the right reason? You know, you see a need, you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you're, you're finished and you think to yourself, well, nobody even noticed. Nobody even said thank you. So there's pitfalls all through the process. Right. And the last line of that verse, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And that's it. Don't even let your mind think that's of it. That's the most important thing. That's right. what it's all about. And if we can focus on that and lock in on that, then everything else comes in, in a much, much better way. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com, and you can like us on Facebook, and you can follow us on Twitter. You can also email us at Rick, R-I-C-K, at ChristianQuestions.net. So participatory leadership is the first external part of the uh, puzzle piece. The second puzzle piece of external Christian leadership is what? Patience. How well am I guiding individuals towards their best growth? And another quote that sort of, I don't know the source of this, but it's a great quote. Kath, what is it? Never tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. And I can tell you absolutely, positively, unequivocally, that quote is true. That has been my experience, is when, you, when, when something needs to be done, you find those who want to do it because that's an area of their talent, and you don't tell them how. You just say, okay, here's what we need to get accomplished, here's the vision, and just let them go. And you are, it's amazing how good people are. It really is amazing. So patient leadership is founded in deep conviction. One can be truly patient if they are so thoroughly convinced that their vision and their direction are true. See, that's Wait, the, we say that. Was that? Say that again. Yeah, different words. One can only be really, truly patient if you are absolutely convinced that your vision and direction are true. See, because if you're convinced that your direction is true, then it's okay to have to wait for people to get it because you know you're on the right track and you have confidence that the vision is powerful enough that they will be drawn to it. It just may take them a little bit more time. So that's where patience can come in. Patient leadership knows how to prioritize its focus. It knows that some things and some people absolutely require more patience than others, and it truly applies patience with the bigger picture in mind. So leadership is important. Focus is important. We want to be clear, and then we need to be willing to wait so others can get it. See, because when somebody gets it uh, of their own accord, it's a whole lot different than you pounding it into their head. Well, I can I can see how this would work in in a Christian type of, you know, we're all working towards the same goal. But what about in a family when um, you know, people kind of have different goals. They have their own agendas and want to accomplish different things. 
Well, see, that comes down to what is the objective of the leader? Is it to, to have the family work together in unison as a family? It doesn't mean that people can't be doing different things, but is it coming under the heading of working together as that family. Uh, Kathy, we've got to do a couple of things here real quickly here. I want to get to another soundbite, and I want to see if we can squeeze a call in here. Uh, let's go back to Simon Sinek, uh, talking about uh, inside-out communication. He's talking about how the brain actually works. When we communicate from the inside out, we're talking directly to the part of the brain that controls behavior, and then we allow people to rationalize it with the tangible things we say and do. This is where gut decisions come from. You know, sometimes you can give somebody all the facts and your figures and they say, I know what all the facts and details say, but it just doesn't feel right. Why would we use that verb? It doesn't feel right. Because the part of the brain that controls decision making doesn't control language. And the best we can muster up is, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right. Or sometimes you say you're leading with your heart or you're leading with your soul. Well, I hate to break it to you. Those aren't other body parts controlling your behavior. It's all happening here in your limbic brain. The part of the brain that controls decision making and not language. And to me, that's profound because, you know, you get a gut feeling about things. Yeah. And that's that's the part of the brain that controls the decision making, but it doesn't control language. So you can't you can't verbalize the gut feeling because it's just this sense of this is the way we need to go. But you can't. You, there's not a lot of words because it, it, it's just, it, folks. What you got to do is you got to go to ChristianQuestions.com uh, once we put this program up uh, and, and listen to that again and again and again to, to get it. Uh, Kath, I want to see if we can fit in a, a call here quickly before the end of this uh, segment. We've got Dave from Indiana on the line. Dave, good morning and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it sounds to me like you're uh, really saying uh, a person must be able to control their own ego in order to have that uh, true alliance with the Lord. You know, if you go back to the, the first commandment, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other strange gods before me. Uh, you don't have that true pathway if your ego is in that way. <laughs> Very well said. Boy, you said it. You should have called earlier, brother. <laughs> Dave, thank, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. And see, th that he, he nailed it down. Right there, that easily, we've got to focus on controlling our ego and get it out of the way so that we can put the primary objective and the primary why in the way. It seems like that was the example of the Pharisees, that they were focused on how they look. Exactly. And that's exactly what Dave was bringing out. Just, right. Just making sure that we're, we're doing things for the right reasons. What is our why? Thanks, David, so much for your call. Folks, we're talking about leadership, we're talking about patience, and we're talking about making things work for yourself and others. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Today we're discussing what makes a true Christian leader, part two. How did a well-funded, well-educated, well-connected, and well-supported group end up a failure? What went wrong? Stay with us. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today, what makes a true Christian leader, part two. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 
985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now, and our website is ChristianQuestions.com. So you were enjoying the music there, Katha. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there listening to the music, and I cure her. She goes, oh, wait, I'm supposed to talk? What? <laughs> Oh dear! We had a, we we're having a great conversation during the break, and it's, sometimes it's hard to stop and then restart. But uh, yes, we're back. We're talking about Christian leadership. We're talking about the external parts of Christian leadership. The first external part was participatory leadership, participating in the objective, getting your hands dirty, and showing others how to get their hands dirty by working alongside of them. That's what Jesus did. That's what the Apostle Paul did. That's what, whenever you look at any great leader, that's what they did. Their hands were dirty, just like everybody else's. The second point is patient leadership. To have patient leadership, and you were saying during the break that to you this is the hardest part. It is the hardest part, to be patient with people. And, you know, I have to laugh because how often do I tell God what I want to change about myself and what I want to work on? And then I, then I set out and sabotage myself, and I fail, and every day I'm... I'm asking for forgiveness and more direction, and yet when other people around me tell me what their goals are and what they want to do, and I see them fail, it's hard to be patient with them. Yeah, and and patience, if we are clear on the objective, if we are clear on the why, it's easier to be patient because you have to have confidence that people are going to come around when they're ready. You can't change people, but you can give them tools. Okay, well, what about this thing that you wrote here? Doubt and controversy are the rich soil in which patient leadership flourishes. And we don't have time for the scripture, but Romans 14, 1 through 4 is a really good scripture about how it's important to be patient with the development of others. In the early church, there were controversies. There were a lot of controversies in the early Christian church. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 was saying, look, people see things differently. It's okay. Let them. And he's saying, now he said, there's a right and a wrong here, but he said, for those who don't have it right yet, relax. Let them be, let them grow, and show them. So he was teaching us that we have to be patient with others' development, even if we think they're not where they ought to be. Patience is something that's so incredibly important. Let's go back to uh, Simon Sinek in this uh, TED Talk that he's talking about leadership and the why and the what and the how, uh, this golden circle and how the greatest leaders focused on the most important thing, the why, when others focus on the other parts. And he's going to be uh, going through some exa- uh, an example here of Samuel Pierpont Langley. Who's he? You'll find out. Samuel Pierpont Langley was given $50,000 by the War Department to figure out this flying machine. Money was no problem. He held a seat at Harvard and worked at the Smithsonian and was extremely well-connected. He knew all the big minds of the day. He hired the best minds money could find, and the market conditions were fantastic. The New York Times followed him around everywhere, and everyone was rooting for Langley. And how come we've never heard of Samuel Pierpont Langley? So you say, wow, he's given $50,000, big whoop. This is in 1904 or something like that. So $50,000 was a lot of money. And so he's working on creating a flying machine. And he has everything going for him. So why is it that he had the best minds, the best money, the best uh, uh, publicity? Why is it we don't know who he is? Well, stay tuned. That's coming up. This is a great story. You guys stay with us. Here's the thing. And, Kathy, we don't have time to read the scripture. But in Luke 18, 9 to 14, the Pharisees, 
they were well-funded, well-educated, well-connected, and well-supported for the task of building a spiritual environment in Israel. Just like Samuel Pierpont Langley was well-funded, well-educated, well-connected, and well-supported for building a flying machine. They were focused, the Pharisees were focused on the wrong things. And then in Luke 18, 9 to 14, it's the, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the, and the publican praying. Right. Remember, the Pharisee basically says, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. <laughs> Sheesh, I mean, I do the things I'm supposed to do and just look at him. And what is the, what's the, the attitude of the publican? The, he's very uh, embarrassed and shameful and repentant and, and humble and bows his head and won't even look up and just begs for forgiveness. And what's God, what, what's, what does Jesus say is the end result of this parable? That the publican, the tax collector, he is the one that is, is made right from his prayer. Because it's done with great humility. And the why was to come before God with honesty and humility versus to come before God and to toot your own horn. Big, big difference. I think that helps us to have that, that piece of patience with others when we realize how much patience we need exactly. from God. Exactly. And that's how to, f- to focus. The Pharisees had no time or use for anyone except to use them as examples of how low society was compared to themselves. The publicans, the tax collectors that were spiritually minded knew that they were way off. And they were willing to admit it. And therefore, they could be blessed by it. Kathy, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut on the line. Julius, good morning. And welcome to Christian Questions. Thank you, Rick. Uh, good morning, Kathy. Good morning. Good program. I uh, like to say hi to my friend John in New York. He uh, he uh, listens to your pro- program, but he does not have the opportunity. He cannot call you. He'd like to call, but anyway, hi to John in New York. Yeah, uh, you know this uh, whole thing on leadership evolves on uh, some a concept that I like to share you quickly as quickly as I can. Uh, Psalms one twenty seven one and two and three probably. Uh, unless God builds the house, they labor in vain and build. God is the architect. Mm-hmm. Okay, Isaiah 42. Uh, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. Okay, it's all from God. Uh, Daniel, what a brilliant uh, man. Remember last week or the week before? I forget now. Maybe last week you had Daniel. Yes. Oh, that what a one, wonderful uh, statement. Now imagine interpreting the dream that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't even recall. Remember that? Yes, yes. Wasn't that uh, just incredible? Now, at the end of the, the chapter, uh, at the end of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 9, I think it is, uh, Daniel wanted to know, you know, I want, I want to know more about what's going to happen. God says, uh, the architect says, not yet. It's not due time. By going back to uh, to close here with the uh, with the Isaiah 42, uh, God's chosen one, that is the Lord Jesus. Uh, I love when you talk about leadership. I love his uh, his uh, attitude and his um, the model, brother. The model. Remember, I, rem- I remember how I, uh, I stated that before. I always like to refer to him as the model. Yes. Uh, in spirit, uh, John 10:11. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, Julius. We appreciate Bye-bye. it. 
And, uh, boy, Jesus is like a walking Bible study, I'll tell you what. <laughs> All the scriptures he quotes, and, and, it, and it's so, so fitting, and he fits in with, with David from Indiana's comments earlier. You know, David said, you know, you've got to get your own ego out of the way, and God is the architect. This was the main point that Julius has brought out, and the two fit exactly together. So you, you can't just get your ego out of the way. You have to make sure you bring in the right thing to replace it. So, Julius, thanks for that uh, thought and for supplementing what Dave from Indiana said earlier. Again, folks, we're talking about leadership. We'd love to hear from you. And if you can't get in for this hour, certainly for the next hour, 866-985-4255. All right, Kathy, let's look at an example of very patient leadership in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 25. So, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So now how is this an example of patient leadership? Well, the Apostle Paul is in a completely pagan environment and he's walking through Athens and observing they've got idols on every street corner. Mm. I mean, they've got gods for gods and gods for gods, gods kind of a thing. And so, so what does he do? There's several things that the Apostle Paul does here. First point. Paul beheld their religious nature. Now, when we say he beheld their religious nature, what we're really saying is he observed it and he soaked it in. He didn't just look at it and say, oh, this is terrible, this is disgusting. He was figuring out what it was. He was looking for the patterns of where they were. Like the common ground. So he could identify with them to show them where they need to go. You see that? that Brilliant. That, so, okay, so next point. Paul examined their idols. He didn't turn his nose up at them in disgust. He didn't just say, this is ridiculous, I'm out of here. That would have been so tempting. <laughs> next one. Paul sought to build on what was important to them by answering an important question. All right, an important question. They had an idol to an unknown god. And there he saw the opening. He said, this is an important question. Now I know how I can identify with these people from where they sit so they will be willing to listen. Next point. Paul gently proclaimed the Almighty. He didn't come out and say, all of your gods are wrong and <laughs> evil and dark and idolatrous and shame on you. He said, let me proclaim to you the, the, the unknown God. Let me tell you about this one. I know you don't know. Let me fill in a blank for you. So it was a gentle proclamation that he was able to build on. Next one. Paul was patient. Oh, wait. No, I missed one. Paul gently informed them that the Almighty is above human ways and human hands. So as he's describing the unknown God, he just builds up the unknown God to be the only God, but he does it in such a gentle way that they were willing to listen. So the bottom line was what you said. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Paul was patient. He was. He was incredibly patient, and as a result, he was able to establish a Christian church in that area. Because, is, in spite of their incredible pagan perspective, he saw a way to show them there was much more to life than they thought. And he built on that. And, 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 and that is a great example of patient leadership. 
You know, from my own life, I had an example last week. A Bible scholar in my own life sent me a text throughout the week, and it said, I'm at work, and I'm trying to remember the six creative days, and do I have it right? And he listed them. And so, number one, that that showed me by his example that while at work, he was thinking of the scriptures. And number two, in the middle of my day, I had to, to lunge for my Bible, study something, and get back to him. What an example of how to live your life just every day with a little thing to encourage somebody else. And, and that's where this patient leadership comes in because sometimes the examples may not be big and, 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 and overwhelmingly uh, great, but they're small and they're little steps. And patient leader t- leadership takes those little, little steps and works with them. Quick scripture, uh, Kathy, in Joshua 24:15 about patient leadership effectively teaching by giving the power of choice to those who follow. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua gives the the children of Israel an opportunity to choose what was going to be important to them. And he shows them. He said, you can go backwards, you can go forwards. Now, me and my house, this is where, where we are going. But for you, maybe you want to choose a different way. You've got to think it through. See, patient leadership gives people the opportunity to apply themselves. And built upon the participation that we talked about in the, in the earlier segments of this program, you put the two together and you've got something big. But there's much more to come. So, folks, stay with us uh, for the second hour as we develop the other external parts of Christian leadership. For Kathy and Rick and Christian Questions, much more to come after the news all and all of that. What makes a true Christian leader? So the news and all of that is over. We'll be back. Think about it. Christian Questions. John Zenger once said, Great leaders are not defined by the absence of weakness, but rather by the presence of clear strengths. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick sitting in for Jonathan this morning is Kathy. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today, this is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Kathy, what's the subject matter this morning? Today our topic is, What Makes a True Christian Leader? Part 2. And our theme text is taken from Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. So it's about true Christian leadership. This is part two. We did part one about a month ago. And in part one, we were talking about the internal aspects of of leadership. Today, we're talking about the external aspects of leadership. And uh, the the two segments that we talked about are the two pieces of the leadership puzzle that we talked about in the first hour. Kathy, what were they? Participation. Who do I interact with and how do I feed that interaction? Okay. And? Patience. How well am I guiding individuals toward their best growth? 
So leadership is that that guiding principle that says, okay, you're bringing people to it to an end result, some kind of an end result. How are you doing it? How are you participating in in the in the task with them? And then how are you being patient as they are developing themselves uh, under your leadership? You know, I can't in this example here about others toward their best growth. I can't help but think of the example of marriage and a husband and wife. And I love the thing from Brother John, um, from John Maxwell, about you have to develop your strengths. So if right. you're if you can't sing, you can't. You're like you're a one or a two. You're not going to become a ten. And just like if your husband isn't really the most romantic man in the whole world, I'm sure he has other strengths that you can help him develop. But you can't continually beat your head against the wall trying to make his ones into tens. Somebody sounds like they're talking from personal experience. I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but the, it's been a light bulb morning for me, Rick. <laughs> but see, the whole point is that the development of others, we, we can't develop others for themselves. We can help them. We can show them. We can give them tools. Oh, and okay. the outcome is not our job. It's, okay. it's the input that's our job. If you are in a leadership position, the input is your job. You can't make people do something if you're leading them. Now, if you're managing them, there's a whole different story. We're not going to get into that. If you're leading them, though, you want them to grow. You want them to develop. You want them to change. And in Christianity, we can't make anybody do anything because the Christian army is a volunteer army. Okay, people volunteer, they're called, they follow, and we can't dictate to them how and what. We can just show them by our own experience, and by our own direction. And so what results? How do we measure how we're doing? This is such a results-driven <laughs> world. We measure everything. Well, see, the, the, the fortunate part about Christian leadership is our, it's not our job to judge results in someone else's life. It's God's job. All we can do is leave the results to him and, and passionately push the the, the why in front of them so they can do something about it. And that's our next point, and, and we're going to develop that as we go, Kathy. Passion is the next public piece of leadership, and what is passion? Is my example one of authority or authentic action? See, we could take the role of authority or we can have authentic action. And if you take the role, you, oftentimes we think a leader is defined by their title, and that is just completely, completely untrue. A leader is defined by what they do by who they are and by where they're going. So you could be a leader but not have the title. Absolutely, positively, hands down, unequivocally. So you could actually lead from the middle of the pack if you are the right kind of person focused on the right kind of things. There's a great quote that goes with that. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. See, it doesn't say if you have the title that says leader or manager by your name, you're a leader. It says if your actions inspire others to do all of these things, then you are by definition. That's what a leader is. See, passionate leadership is movement and it creates movement in others. Now, passionate leadership engages those around it because when it's expressed, it creates a disturbance, a disturbance of the force, you know. It <laughs> creates a disturbance in the status quo of the moment. you gotta, you got to follow me on this. What does that mean? <laughs> okay, well, let, 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 me, let me see if I can get through this, this whole thing and, and make sure it's clear. When there is a passionate leader, things cannot remain as they are. There's a disturbance in the status quo. Things have to change. So the problem is this disturbance brings discomfort to the people around you. Now, the discomfort causes a shift in those people who are following. And therefore, 
they have to make a choice. And the choice is you're either going to move toward the passion to draw from it and become part of it, or because it's disturbing and it's, it's making the status quo now uncomfortable, you move away from the passion to try to regain, re- regain that previous comfort. You got it? You got it? I think so. Okay. I got it. So, so passionate leadership makes people change one way or another. So you don't have to like kick people off your team. No, it's not it's not that's not the point of it. The point is to show them in such a driven way that it's going to cause them to make a decision one way or the other. And all you can do is show them. That's all you can do. That's your job. So uh, my other question was going to be about if you're passionate and you live your life with passion and zeal, others can be intimidated by that. That's true. That's true. And 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 that's where Patience and participation, the, t- the two other P's that we were talking about in the right. first hour, are so important because your passion can't override your participation alongside with them. Your passion can't override your patience with them. Can you think of an example? Well, you know, you can have, um, um, let me think about that. Okay. All right. Let me, let me think about that. All right. Um, well, well, how about in the, Christ- the Christmas season? When you okay, see so many people, you know, just caught up in a frenzy. Okay, so so that's a good example because in the Christmas season, they're they're caught up in the frenzy, and it's the Santa Claus frenzy. It's the presents frenzy. It's the glitter and the glitz and the Christmas trees and the ornaments and the lights and all of that stuff. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. But that's not what it's about. So you can be passionate, and you can you can with that passion, you can you can you can. Bring a sign with you to the mall that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. And you can be singing hymns marching through the mall. Or, now, what are you going to do for people with that? You're going to create a, a disturbance that's not necessary. Or, in your personal interaction, as you are participating alongside of people, you can patiently mention why you appreciate the Christmas season on a one-on-one basis and show them what you think is the most important thing. See, to me, that's, that's the proper, passionate approach. It's to be not, not be afraid of it but not to, to bowl people over with it either. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget Seeker Rewind, the full edition, folks. You have to sign up for it. It's a free service. It's available exclusively at ChristianQuestions.com. And it gives you the every every Sunday morning, it breaks our program down into pieces. And Kathy, you're, you're an avid reader of Seeker Rewind. I love it because sometimes I listen to the program and I think, wait, what? And you read it on CQ Rewind, and it's just laid out for you. You can see it, especially last week with David Rice, and he went over so many things. And I I read it, and honestly, I read it more than once because it was just that good, and I had that many questions. So CQ Rewind, the full edition, you do need to sign up for it. It's free. There is no obligation. Available at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's look at the passion of the Pharisees, Kathy. Let's, let's go down to that and just take a look at how their passion worked out, and then we're going to look at the passion of Jesus in comparison. Matthew 23, 1 through 7. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you to do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them, and with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments, 
They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. So Jesus, you notice there's a continual theme. Jesus is continually saying, beware of this because their leadership is leading you in the wrong direction. It's a self-absorbed approach to God. And that is not godly. And it's a good checkpoint in your own mind. Am I speaking to, to draw, draw people to myself exactly. or to God? Right, right. And it's so easy. And, and passion, if it's misplaced, can really be interpreted as, oh, look, it's all about me. And that's why we have to be careful with the application of passion and not let it be reckless, but let it be focused based on participation on on getting your hands dirty continually and being patient with those around you. Uh, Let's go back to Simon Sinek from his TED Talk uh, about leadership and about the golden circle. Remember the golden circle, the key point was why, and then there was the how, and then there was the what. And his point was that most people don't get the why. Every company knows what they do. A lot of them know how they do it, but most people don't know why. And his point was that the greatest leaders knew the why and focused on the why and allowed the others, other pieces, to fall into place because the why was the most important thing. So he was giving an example of uh, Samuel Pierpont Langley, who was a um, uh, was an inventor in the at the turn of the, of the uh, 20th century, funded to I- create uh, a flying machine. Right. And now he's going to be talking about the Wright brothers and their approach to the creation of a flying machine at the same time. A few hundred miles away in Dayton, Ohio, Orville and Wilbur Wright. They had none of what we consider to be the recipe for success. They had no money. They paid for their dream with the proceeds from their bicycle shop. Not a single person on the Wright brothers' team had a college education, not even Orville or Wilbur. And the New York Times followed them around nowhere. The difference was Orville and Wilbur were driven by a cause, by a purpose, by a belief. They believed that if they could figure out this flying machine, it'll change the course of the world. So there was an entirely different approach by the Wright brothers versus the Langley approach. The Wright brothers believed that this was a potential world-changing invention. It could, it could unite the world in a way that had never been done before. And so they were about changing the world. That's a big focus. And, but see, and therefore, what they attracted to them was not the, 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 the people that looked the best. It wasn't the people with the best education. They didn't have college-educated people working with them in, in their engineering department. Their, you know, their engineering department was their bicycle shop, for crying out loud. You know, I mean, you think about this. What they had was people who could buy into that vision of changing the world and didn't work for glamour and glory and lots of money, but they worked to change the world. You know, I appreciate I heard um, last week somebody, a speaker, was talking about how they always support this specific business because they really appreciate their hiring practice, and that is they hire for attitude and they train for ability. Right. Right, and, and, and that way you're focusing on the most important things. Now, again, we don't have time to read the scripture here, but the passion of Jesus. Uh, we, can, we looked at the passion of the Pharisees in our last scripture. In Luke 8, 43 to 48 uh, is a great example of the passion of Jesus. And, and what's happening in this scripture, Kathy? 
that there's a there's Jesus is in a crowd and there's a woman who has been suffering with an issue of blood for 12 years and she just touches him and she's instantly healed and Jesus is Jesus knows instantly that somebody touched him and was healed because he felt strength leave his own body. Okay, now let, let's pause right there as we describe that because that shows you the passion of Jesus. The healing that he did cost him. Every time he healed somebody, it took something out from him. And so he could tell when somebody was healed, and this woman had great faith to just say, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be healed. I know it. And he said to her, your faith has made you whole. But it cost him. But he didn't back away from giving. See, the, the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees is striking. Because for the Pharisees, it was all about looking in the mirror and make sure, uh, making sure I look good. And for Jesus, it was all about how much can I give to others so they can be good. Big difference between the two. An incredible difference between the two. Jesus heals and it costs him something, but that's what he came for, to be spent in the service of the gospel and to pay the ransom, which actually cost him his life. That's the example of leadership. That's the example of passion that we want to focus on. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Today we're discussing what makes a true Christian leader, part two. Which is a greater motivator, passion or a paycheck? What if it's a really, really big paycheck? Stay with us. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today, what makes a true Christian leader? Part two. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And again, folks, please, please, please avail yourself of the uh, website, ChristianQuestions.com. And especially, sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. Uh, it's exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com. It is a basic transcript of each of our Sunday morning broadcasts. It takes scriptures, graphics, illustrations, some of the commentary, puts it all together in a nice, neat format that's easy to read. And actually, it's very educational. It really is. The other thing you have at ChristianQuestions.com, which is so cool, is people will write to you and ask questions. And you get some really amazing questions, but even more, you get some really amazing answers. And it takes the the reader through the Bible and, and really breaks it down and shows how this question can be answered in the Bible. And your um, your team, they, they send it to me, and I usually send out a little tweet about it. So if you follow us on Twitter, you'll be apprised of these new events and what's coming up and what, what happened, what is happening. And um, it's a good way to be a Christian follower. That's right. Kathy is our tweet master at ChristianQuestions.com. <laughs> okay, let, let's, get to, let's continue with passionate leadership, and let's look at Jesus being put to his final test. And once we do this, then we'll go back to the phones. But, uh, Kathy, this, this to me exemplifies the depth of the passion of Jesus in his position as our unequivocal leader. Matthew 26, 36-44. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter 
and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. So he says to them, he brings Peter, James, and John with him, and he wants them to participate with him because he is undergoing extraordinary stress and strain. So he wants them to participate, not, not be right next to him by his side, but be there. They're his closest friends. And he's saying, I, I, need, I need your support on this. So you can see, he's undergoing great strain, and he has great passion here. So now what happens? And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus comes back. He finds them falling asleep. And he's saying, come on, I need your help. And so he's saying, watch, watch and pray. He said, because you're on trial here as well. So now what happens? He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. So even when the followers are not up to the necessary level of engagement, the leader still plows through. You see, they let him down. They let him down. They, there's no other way to understand that. But Jesus didn't say, that's it, you're through. He, in his passion to fulfill the will of the Father perfectly, wanted the help and support, didn't get it, but it was still okay with him. And see, that's the thing. That's, about, that's how passion is tempered with patience. You see, they were not up to it, but it was okay. He still, he was still going to watch over them and still protect them even though they let him down. That is, to me, a great example of passionate leadership being patient and also you know, participatory, having your, your hands dirty, being involved just like they are. But he also didn't let them sway him from his focus. Exactly, exactly. He wanted their help. He needed their encouragement. When he didn't get it, he did it anyway. And that's yeah. what a leader does. Let's go to the phones. We have Randall from Connecticut. Randall, good morning. Welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. Thank you. Good morning. And we have Numbers 2012. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, You did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites. The Christian does not lead as much as allow God to lead through him. This is attitude, not management technique. 2 Corinthians one twenty four. I do not mean to imply that we lord it over your faith. Rather... We are workers with you for your joy. Moses thumped the rock instead of letting God's work flow. But Jesus prayed before he chose the twelve. The Christian does not thump the Bible, but in prayer, ask God to lead through his presence. James 3.17 But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and good fruits. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.
You know, I, I love that example, thumping the rock and thumping the Bible. And love it. it and and you know, it's interesting. It, it reminds me of a personal experience I had recently. I'd gone to the dentist and was you know, getting some work done and, and ended up talking about the, the, the radio program. You know, and it's not, I don't do this for a living. This is all volunteer work here. And I was explaining it to the dentist and his assistant. And she looked at me and she said, you don't impress me as a Bible thumper. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not. I'm a Bible explainer. I said, that's, that's, that's what this is about, you know. And, and it was interesting because there's a perception. And that, that, that Bible thumper approach comes across with that great passion. But that great passion perhaps is missing some of the other ingredients. And so we go overboard on one thing. And that's why Christian leadership has got to be so well-rounded. That's why it's such an important thing to understand how Christian leadership works. You know, and it can be so tempting. I loved when, when Randall said that because if, when you, he said, you know, Bible thumper, I almost picture, you know, you take the Bible and you thump it off someone's head yeah. <laughs> because that's, that's you know, can be the temptation to open it up and, and point out all the scriptures of what they're doing wrong. Right, right, right. And the Apostle Paul didn't do that, remember? No, he didn't. No, Jesus didn't do, do that, did he? Yeah. You know, so we have the great Christian leaders uh, in, in our all of our example showing us how, folks. That's what we got to do. We got to follow that example. Don't make up a new one. The example's already there. You don't need to say, "Hey, let me try it this way. This will be something new." No, let's try something old because it works. That's the thing. That's what we need to be focusing on. Let, let's go back to Randall. Thanks again for your thoughts and scriptures. Very, very, very um, appropriate. Let's go back to Simon Sinek in his TED talk talking about, remember now, uh, Samuel Pierpont Langley was given lots of money, the best brains, lots of publicity to try to invent a flying machine. The Wright brothers had none of the above, but they had the passion and the vision of changing the world. Langley was after money. The Wright brothers were after changing the world. So what's the result of all of this? Samuel Pierpont Langley was different. He wanted to be rich and he wanted to be famous. He was in pursuit of the result. He was in pursuit of the riches. And lo and behold, look what happened. The people who believed in the Wright brothers' dream worked with them with, for, with blood and sweat and tears. The others just worked for the paycheck. And they tell stories of how every time the Wright brothers went out, they would have to take five sets of parts because that's how many times they would crash before they came in for supper. And eventually, on December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers took flight. And no one was there to even experience it. We found out about it a few days later. So it's a dramatic story. And you know, the interesting thing was, I don't know if you could hear it in the background, yes. but there was an airplane that flew overhead exactly when he said the Wright brothers took flight. Oh, that wasn't part of it? No, it was, oh no that was goodness. outside. That was outside. That wasn't part of the presentation at all. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I didn't realize that. But the, the point is that those who had the passion and the vision had the why were the ones who accomplished the mission. And, and that reminds me so much of the problem with so much of Christianity today. See, and, and folks, if this is offensive, I apologize ahead of time, but so much of Christianity is about, hey, come to the gospel, pray that God will give you a lot so you can be rich. Oh, that makes me cringe. It, it's, it's about a paycheck. It really is. And, and, and that's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is about sacrifice for the sake of the world. That's the point of the gospel. And so if we miss the point where you're looking for the paycheck and you're looking at the gospel that way, you're not achieving. You know what? Maybe you'll get your paycheck, but you're not achieving godliness. You're not achieving sacrifice. You're not becoming Christ-like. 
or even praying to God. You know, so many people, I think, see God as a genie in heaven <laughs> that they, you know, can make a wish. Right. You right. know, and, and help he heal me. Them. Yes. Right. Yes. You know. Yeah. You know, help, you know, get me a job, you know, heal, heal this disease or whatever it is. And, and that's about what God can do for you. And it's not the point. No, it's about what we can do for God through Christ. That's mm. what Christian leadership ought to be focused on. That's our why. What can we do for God through Christ? What can we give? What can we sacrifice? And how can we become more Christ-like? And that's the bottom line. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. But you know, Oh, and the website's ChrisQuestions.com. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? There really is, I'm thinking about, there really is a Christian paycheck now because Jesus said, I leave you my peace, Yes. my peace I give you. And if you're doing everything God's way and committing your all to him and through Jesus Christ and you receive that peace in your heart, there is nothing better now. Well, you're right. You're right about that. But the, the issue with that is in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of those who are going to make judgments upon us, that's not something that they really want or care about. You know, what's it doing for you? What are you getting from it? And when you say, well, I'm getting the peace of God which passes all understanding to keep my heart and mind in Christ Jesus, saying, okay, so what are you doing? What are you getting from it? <laughs> you know, they, they don't get it. And you're right. And, and, and that's the thing about having that passion and that why is there's such a dense fulfillment in it in those intangible things in life so we've talked about passion we've got to move forward here we've got to touch on our last aspect of outward christian leadership and that is proactivity proactivity kathy what about it do i preach and teach and exude perception and preparedness or do i nag <laughs> All right, we're going to get back to that in a second. Uh, a leader is someone who believes in you and gets you to believe in yourself. We've been talking about that. Proactive leadership is really a culmination of all of the previous elements. Proactivity becomes instinctive if we understand and apply all of the other things that we've talked about, not only in this program, but in the program about a month ago on the internal aspects of leadership. And before we list those off, Kathy, we only have a couple minutes here. Leading, leading versus nagging. You brought up nagging. Yes. Why? Well, I think that it's so easy to be results driven and think, you know, okay, you know, I, you, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. And, and, you know, when you, you kind of answered it and when you said that you believe in other people. And for me, you know, believing in other people isn't for the sake of them. It's because I believe in God and I believe in the power of God and I believe that God can fix other people because I've seen him work in me and help fix me. So he doesn't need to be nagged. Well, and, and that's the whole point. We try to play the role of God when we nag. Mm. Okay. Now, again, we, there, there's obviously different applications for all of this. We're talking about Christian leadership specifically here. I mean, if you're parenting a child, there's a different aspect to the role that we're not getting into here. But in terms of Christian leadership leading other adults toward Christ, it's a matter of being proactive. And that means you've applied the principles and the priorities and, and reviewed your own performance and your own potential. You've done the internal work. And because you've done the internal work, and because you've worked on helping yourself to be 
be in line with where you want to go, see, you, it's easier to be proactive because you, you're clear on your pri- principles and priorities and so forth. And the public pieces are, we talked about today, what are they just real quickly? Participation. Who do I interact with and how do I feed that interaction? Patience. How well am I guiding individuals toward their best growth? And passion. Is my example one of authority or authentic action? So that participation, patience, and passion. Proactivity now becomes a tool of inspiration as we apply that participation, patience, and passion. See, all of these things have to work together. We can't say, okay, well, I'm good at being passionate, so I'm going to ignore the rest. If you're a leader, you can't ignore the rest. That might be the thing that you lead with the most, the strongest part of your personality, but if you don't incorporate these other things, you're not really leading. You're just expressing yourself, and there's a big difference between leadership and self-expression. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Today, we're discussing what makes a true Christian leader, part two. Coming up, what is the number one way to be a successful Christian leader, and what is the formula for failure? You've got to stay tuned. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today, what makes a true Christian leader? Part two. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And once again, folks, really, we really, really, really want you to avail yourself of Seeker Rewind, the full edition at ChristianQuestions.com. It's a free service. You can sign up. Uh, you can opt out with a click of a button. and um, But it just gives you all of the content that we talk about each Sunday morning in printed format and makes it easier to understand, and it's something that you can keep with you. Uh, you can print them. You can keep them on your computer. You can, And once you sign up, you have access to all of the previous Seeker Rewind full editions. You know, and, and we're talking today about what makes a true Christian leader, and what a, what a great example. You know, find it as something that you're passionate about, a topic, print out the Rewind, leave it on your counter, leave it on your desk at work, um, email it to somebody or not email, or just even print it out and mail, snail mail it to somebody and, you know, inspire others with what inspires you. And that's what leadership is. That's a great, great way to use it. Seeker Rewind, the full edition. Sign up now at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, let's go back to, we're talking about proactive leadership now as we begin to wrap this up. And folks, again, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, 866-985-4255, toll free 866 for all. Um, let's go back to Simon Sinek in his TED Talk. Uh, the, he's, he's talking about the, the, the Wright brothers and uh, Samuel Pierpont Langley, both of them striving to create the invention of the airplane. Now the Wright brothers finally do it. So what happens next? And further proof that Langley was motivated by the wrong thing, the day the Wright brothers took flight, he quit. He could have said, that's an amazing discovery, guys, and I will improve upon your technology. But he didn't. He wasn't first. He didn't get rich. He didn't get famous. So he quit. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And if you talk about what you believe, you will attract those who believe what you believe. That's a 
powerful example, a real life true example of what happens if we're motivated by the wrong things. And well, can you think of an example that would, would be a, a trap for us because, you know, I can't even relate to something that big. Uh, you know, it, it comes down to, well, you know, suppose that you, you, you're passionate about the gospel, and, you know, this is about the gospel, and it's about Christianity, and you want to uh, do some kind of a witness work, but somebody else has already done it. So? Oh, so, okay. You, what, what's keeping you from asking them, going to them and saying, hey, how did you do it? What, what did you find were the, were the best parts? What were the traps? And, and, and drawing from them and then saying, okay, now I want to do it. Not to try to do it better than you. I'm going to do it better than you, but I want to build on what you did and make, have your experience make mine more valuable. You know, see, it, it's a matter of we can be in competition one against another or we can be working together because you know what? Here's a newsflash. We're all on the same team here. We're all about the same end result. Uh, it's just a, a, a quick example of, of just how to, how to apply someone else's success to our lives for our benefit rather than look at their success meaning our failure. It's not the way it's supposed to be in, in Christianity. They were about the same end result. Create a flying machine, a manned flying machine. One of them did it, the other didn't. And the other one just went home mad. Too bad. Okay, what or I think, you know, if you see somebody doing something that you think is fabulous, just maybe you can just be on their team and sure. align yourself exactly. and ask, how can I help you? Right, because it's not about who gets the credit. Right. It's about getting the job done. Right. And that's the core of Christian leadership. Okay. Well Brilliant. done. Let's, um, we're not going to read it, but the Pharisees' proactivity was about capturing and, and, cru- and crucifying Jesus to get him out of, out of the picture. They were really proactive about that. Okay, we've seen enough. Right after the resurrection of Lazarus, he, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. They yeah. get together, and what do they say? They're like, this one guy is causing us a lot of trouble, and if we allow him to continue, we're going to be out of a job, out of a house, out of a home, out of a money, out of a comfort zone. Let's just get rid of him. Right. Rather than look at what Jesus did and say, he raised him from the dead. There must be something wonderful here. Let's align. They said, no, let's get rid of him. You see, it's all about what is driving us. It's all about the why of our leadership. And our proactivity has to be driven by that why. And, you know, that that makes me think of when you see somebody doing something really great and you think that, can you, if you can't do what they're doing, it's very tempting to cut them down yes. and criticize. Yes. And so I think that would be a real life example for us. You know, do we build up other people and appreciate them for who and what they are and what they do? Or do we try to compete with them and, and criticize them? And, and, it's, and it's so easy to, to, to be resentful. Because mm. somebody else is doing something that you would have liked to have done. You're right. And, and this is what, that's why all of the internal aspects of leadership have to be so much a part of us. Because if we're driven by the, the right principles, which is all about our why, mm. then all of that other extraneous stuff about being, you know, feeling bad, I mean, that doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Right. Let, let's go to the last soundbite from Simon Sinek in this TED Talk. And it, folks, this is a brilliant talk about true leadership and finding the why and how the why works. And, Go to YouTube uh, and type in Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, uh, in this TED Talk and just listen because I, it just, it's inspiring to me. Let's hear his basic conclusion. Leaders hold a position of power or authority, but those who lead inspire us. 
whether they're individuals or organizations, we follow those who lead, not because we have to, but because we want to. We follow those who lead, not for them, but for ourselves. And it's those who start with why that have the ability to inspire those around them or find others who inspire them. And that's profound. We follow those who lead because it's not about them, it's about us. It's about, you, you are drawn to that. It's like a magnet. You're drawn to it because there is such a compelling story in front of you that you just want to be a part of. You want to be absorbed by that you do it for you, for your own sake, because you want to be better. Mm-hmm. And that's what true, true leadership does. It draws you and inspires you as a follower to become a part of things. And, and, and I'll tell you, Kathy, one, one, one thing about this whole experience and doing Christian questions and, and all of that. When, uh, folks, uh, uh, someday we're going to just have to tell you the whole story. But, uh, you know, Jonathan and, and, and I started with this uh, with Sean way back when, 16 years ago almost. We, none of us, neither of us had any radio experience. We had no idea what the heck we were doing. All we knew was there was something, an opportunity to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. To give the good news to whoever would listen. That's all we had. That was it. And trust me, that's it. That's all we had. We didn't have any money. There was nothing behind this. And what's happened over these last several years is that there has been this momentum of people wanting to be a part of it because it's grown and now we're on several stations and you know new markets and all of this kind of thing and, and, and the website and Secret Rewind. All of that. Look, that's, that, wasn't even, that wasn't my idea. The radio program wasn't even my idea. All that happened is all of these things came together because there was a bigger objective. And what we have is people just wanting to be a part of something that's bigger than them. That is what Christian leadership really is. That's what we are supposed to be about in our everyday lives. And, and we want to work on being a part of it by making sure that we are positioning ourselves to be a, a value to those around us. Let's look at the Apostle Paul, an example of the Apostle Paul leading Timothy on a path to learn to lead others. Now, Timothy was a Christian. He was a young man. He was younger than the average, but he was very gifted in his Christianity. 2 Timothy 2, 14-16. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So the apostle is telling Timothy, look, I need you as a young man to stand up. I need you to study. I need you to be diligent because you are representing the word of the gospel. Do it accurately. Do it well. And you need to address the issues that are present. So he's giving this young man a lot of responsibility because he sees him as a very good potential leader amongst Christianity. There's a really good quote here that that fits in with this. Herbert Swope, what's the quote? Love this. I cannot give you the formula for success, but I can give you the formula for failure, which is try to please everybody. (laughs) So the Right, and the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy as a young man, I need you to stand up against some of the things that are happening within the Christian community where you are because they are on the wrong track. You need to stand up against those and correct them. So now let's just go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 16. We're going to read selected verses here. For it is, 
For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So the Apostle Paul reiterates to Timothy the why. We have fixed our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men. It's the salvation of the world that Timothy was about. Okay, continue. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. So he's saying, make sure you've got the why clearly in your focus and teach those things. Get them focused on the why. And see, Kathy, when we focus people on the why, all of the other stuff, if we are really laser beam focused on it, the other stuff just loses a lot of its importance. And the fact that he was so young wouldn't matter now as much because he was focusing them on the true hope of their calling. So it didn't matter who it was coming from. What mattered was it's the true hope of their calling, and it rings true in in the heart of a true Christian. Now let's just jump down to verses 15 and 16. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Preserve persevere in these things for as you do this you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you i like the way this translation reads take pains with these things be absorbed in them so that you see if you're absorbed in the gospel and and all of the, the the truth of the gospel then your progress becomes evident because now you start to live what you talk about you start to live what you believe and when you live it, you become a, live, a walking epistle that people can read. I mean, people read everybody, each other's lives, whether we like it or not. So proactivity in our leadership says that absorb yourself in the why to the point where it just oozes out of you and you can't even control it. And, you know, I just love how the approach of Apostle Paul with Timothy and how he, he took this young person who had the right attitude, and it's the same thing he did with Mars Hill. He found common ground, and he developed his strengths. He didn't even focus on any of Timothy's weaknesses. We don't know what Timothy's weaknesses are, his youth, but Paul pulled out the good parts, and and that's how you can inspire somebody. And that's what true Christian leadership is. So we see that leadership obviously in Jesus and how he always put the why first and how he was so principally driven and had his priorities straight and he knew that he was about just doing the will of God and he knew what his potential was. His potential, Jesus' potential was to fulfill the law perfectly. And then on the, on the out external leadership part, you know, he took, he took, he participated. He washed his disciples' feet. He joined with them. He was like them. He, 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 he put himself in a position where he could be patient with them. He helped them with his passion. He showed them his passion. And then that proactivity is just putting it all together into one big package. That's what our Christian leadership is. That's what it's built around. And the thing about Christian leadership, folks, as we close, is this. Christian leadership, by definition, has to be the most well-rounded leadership in all of the world. Because it's not just about something that's uh, accomplishing a business goal and objective. It's accomplishing a life goal and objective, not only for your life and not only for the life of your followers, but for the life of you, the followers, and because it's for the salvation of the world. That's what Christianity is about. That's what Christian leadership is about. We need to step up 
and, and, and participate in such a way that we can lead so others will want to follow because they can't help it. It's so driving. For, uh, for Kathy and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us this morning. We certainly have enjoyed being with you. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, what makes a true Christian leader? Plenty. Till next week, think about it. <laughs>